A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Guerrero. The 11 Olympic team members slain in West Germany. The Olympic Games. So geheimt waren die Brüder in Amerika. Von Kauten Schabes hat es getan. Out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, it is never too little. It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide. Welcome everyone Yehuda to Jewish Gabber. History Soundbites. This is Yehudi Geber with another episode of Jewish History Soundbites, but this is not just any other episode. This is episode number 250 of Jewish History Soundbites. And it is um, quite a milestone, uh, how far we've come, and the time to make a bit of a summary, I guess, something along the lines of the history of Jewish history soundbites. The podcast started off quite small, um, small in everything, small expectations, a small, smaller group of listeners, and also the episodes themselves were uh, shorter, significantly shorter. And Jewish history soundbites took off beyond all expectations, and um, the community of listeners, uh, excuse me, got got larger, and the episodes themselves also did. A, um, we still try to control the uh, that it doesn't get out of hand. Uh, this is an opportunity. I want to say thank you to all the listeners to the producers of Jewish History Soundbites, and the thank you for the feedback that I get from listeners. Thank you to the sponsors, and also those who submit ideas and and uh, engage, engage Jewish History Soundbites, engages the listeners on social media, and it's a lot of fun there also, on Twitter, LinkedIn, other platforms, and uh, all kinds of activities there, and, and trivia, and, and all kinds of great stuff going on, and it's grown to a huge community of listeners, and not just any, uh, knowledgeable, dedicated, uh, for the most part very nice, and gracious, and polite as well. Jewish History Soundbites listeners have broadened my horizons by leading me to new topics, sources, books, articles, people to talk to, They've shared stories and tidbits, and of course, most importantly, many corrections, important corrections, and you've led me in the right direction and held me accountable. The mistakes that I've have crept in, um, not intentionally, but it's very important that you point it out, and I appreciate that. And because of that, I also prepare more thoroughly as a result, as I know who's listening, and will, I know that I will be held accountable for any mistakes, no matter how minor, and that's how it should be. So I appreciate that and would like to express a thank you. And I've become better as a result and much more broadened horizons as a result and new topics and everything else. More personally, I've also made some friends among the listeners. So thank you for that as well. 
So, as usual, you know, we're looking ahead to the future. The, you know, it's nice to talk about the history, but looking ahead to the future. So, at this milestone of episode number 250, I want to talk also about the future. Uh, sponsorships are, of course, of course, available also for tribute episodes last week. Unfortunately, we had the passing of several great uh, leaders of the Jewish world. And I did one tribute for Abdavid Salavechik, but there's also tribute episode sponsorships available for Abyssal Shiner and Rabbi Dr. Abraham J. Twersky. We're gonna, I'm going to try to start another series. I know that's very popular when we have a series, an ongoing series of a more in-depth topic, so we can have sponsorships for that as well. There's lots of interesting topics coming soon. There's the second season of the City Series. It's going to be starting this spring of the cities, great American Jewish cities, and we can go beyond America this time as well, working always on upgrading the production and content. I'm always thinking of bigger and better things to try to engage, uh, you know, the uh, the listeners and the um, and you know more interesting series, perhaps even more of a macro look at things from time to time. So I'm also available for suggestions and of course sponsorships. And not just sponsorships for Jewish History Soundbites, but also any lectures you would might want or virtual tours, which is more exciting for your family, community, shul, yeshiva, or any other framework. Just be in touch with me about all that. Um, um, you can contact me by email, yehuda at yehudageber.com. I thought of some, doing something a bit different for episode number 250, and that would be to take a step back and try to see what we're trying really to do with all this. What, what are we trying to accomplish with the, the episodes of Jewish History Sound, with this podcast? What, what, what is it all about? So I want to uh, share my own view uh, of things. Uh, you know, and of course, it's open to interpretation and, and other, other, uh, other uh, um, there could be other angles to see this as well. But my own view of modern Jewish history and how the podcast Jewish History Soundbites fits into that picture and what it can contribute to our understanding of who we are and our place in history. So it would be kind of a taking a step back, a bird's eye view, a general overview, which will hopefully encompass it all, or at least most of the subject matter which is explored on this podcast. So first of all, what is modern Jewish history? Jewish History Soundbites is almost exclusively uh, focused on modern Jewish history. I don't really go back uh, beyond the modern era, and that's very simply because I don't know that much uh, earlier. Um, that's my main focus of, of my research, and and uh, li- whatever limited knowledge I have is uh, to, um, primarily to modern Jewish history. Um, so what is modern Jewish history? So it's accepted among scholars to present 1500 to the present, the year 1500 to the present time, as modern Jewish history, why? Why, why does it, what makes it modern? So you have to understand that any 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 divides that we make uh, of of eras and periods, time periods, is is completely artificial. It's an artificial divide, so it's not really a good thing to do. It's not really truthful um, to make these divides because the people living during that time did not get up and say, all right, guys, we're up to 1500. This is a new era. We have to act accordingly. That's not, and things, nothing ever changes. Suddenly you can't say up till here, it's one period. And then from the next day on, it's a new time period. 
everything is very gradual and develops kind of you know, slowly, and that's all obvious also. So why do we even present different eras? Because it's a tool. It's a tool to assist us with understanding history in general, and Jewish history fits right into that uh, as well. So within modern Jewish history, from the year 1500 to the present, we even divided further by the early modern period and the late modern period. The early modern period would be 1500 to 1850, with the late modern being 1850 until the present. Now, these are artificial, but they do have some uh, meaning. And uh, the year 1500 is, of course, right near the year 1492, which is a very significant historical event in Jewish history that it's it's uh, uh, you know it reverberated throughout the Jewish world and had a tremendous impact um, on the Jewish world in the coming centuries, and that was the expulsion from Spain. Uh, so there, it's not completely artificial. It makes sense to choose that as uh, as a cutoff point. Similarly, but not exactly the same, with 1850, in uh, the year 1848, there was revolutions that swept Europe, and that had a big impact on both Jewish life and on the main story of the Jews in the modern era, which is the struggle for emancipation. So the 1848 revolutions in Germany and other European countries um, had high hopes for uh, Jews across Europe to get emancipation and to get more equal rights, and mo- many of those hopes were dashed, which led to further developments in the, and had a big impact on the, on the coming decades and, and century of Jewish life as well. So the 1848 revolution is close to the year 1850, so we make that another artificial divide. And now, the the uh, so that's where Jewish history soundbites operates primarily in mostly late modern, but or in the second half of early modern, from like the 1700s and on. Uh, for the most part, there are occasional ex- exceptions that I will stretch back a little bit further into our glorious past. So what's special about modern Jewish history, and primarily late modern Jewish history? It's the well, the focus of my research, and like I said, the prime subject matter of the podcast. So it's essentially a time of sweeping changes, fundamental shifts, developments, changes with far-reaching consequences which have shaped the Jewish world which we live in Till this very day, um, so the theme, so to speak, is is changes. The theme of of everything, uh, of of the, that I research and that I discuss on the podcast. The underlying theme, if we can call it, is changes. Changes which affect the Jewish people and continue to have a significant impact on the social and religious and political and cultural makeup of the Jewish people till today. So, if we further divide that. Um, I'll talk about, in the next few minutes, I want to talk about six of the primary changes which I focus on, many of which overlap. It's not, it's not distinctive. It's not, you know, one or the other. It's, many of them are very much overlapping, and, and, and all of them are interrelated, pretty much. Um, and uh, therefore, any one episode is really touching on several of these at the same time. But if we want to divide it into six primary changes that took place in the Jewish people, in the last few centuries, that will, will give a little bit of a like a, an overview of what all what all this is all about. The first one is emancipation. I mentioned before, from the time of the French Revolution, seventeen eighty nine, till 
from what, from revolution to revolution, we'll call it, from the French Revolution in 1789 to the Russian Revolution in 1917, the the story of the Jews in the 19th century, and from the end of the 18th to the beginning of the 20th, but mainly, primarily the 19th century, is the story of of emancipation. There's a bit of a curveball in there, and that curveball, obviously, is the United States, because in the United States, the Jews are never a question about emancipation. They never receive emancipation. Citizenship and equal rights is something that comes naturally and never is is, is a distinct issue. So that again, that, that that has to be spoken about as well. I mean, that's that's also a big story. What you know, what happens there, and how does that impact Jewish life as a result? Also, so the 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 anomaly of 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 the of the story in the United States is is also part of the story of emancipation in the fact that it's the exception to the rule. <coughs> Excuse me. Whereas in Europe. The, there's a struggle in each and every place for emancipation. Uh, the stages of receiving that emancipation, that citizenship, that equal rights, that uh, opportunity, the falling of the ghetto walls in a metaphorical and very often in a literal sense. And um, and when each country receives it and how the Jewish community deals with it, the challenges of emancipation, the results what happens to the Jewish community? How do they integrate into society? What happens to religious life? What happens to anti-Semitism? And then, of course, we have, towards the end of the 19th century, to a certain extent, we have the disappointment of emancipation, that it did not achieve what the expectations were of the Jewish community to, to achieve. And if we point to one manifestation of that, which leads to massive new developments in the Jewish people, we'll have you know, Dr. Leon Pinsker's book, Auto Emancipation, where he declares that uh, emancipation did not work out. In Western Europe, it did not make anti-Semitism disappear. And in Eastern Europe, where most of the Jews were, they never even received it, and they didn't have any hopes that the Tsar in Russia would ever, you know, uh, give them emancipation at this point. So he says, Auto emancipatia. He writes it in, in, in uh, this German book, uh, book in German, in, in a pamphlet really, in German. And that's that, that Jews have to emancipate themselves. So that leads to the whole story of Jewish nationalism, which I'll get to. So the struggle and the challenges and the results and the disappointment and the stages and the development of all that, that is the, uh, may, one of the major changes, uh, one of the six. Uh, of of the last couple of centuries. Another one is what I call the biggest one of all, and and you know again, it's not it, it's probably the biggest impact, and and usually overlooked. I don't know if entirely, but minimized is immigration. Uh, the story of the Jews of the last couple of centuries is one of immigration, massive population shifts. When did that happen? Why did it happen? What were the destinations? What were the catalysts and causes and the results? It's probably the biggest change of all. If you look at the Jewish world today, the Jewish people today are all in places that they were not for the overwhelming majority of them a century or two ago. They're in completely different locations. The two main locations where 90% of the Jewish people are today are in the land of Israel, in Eretz Yisrael, the state of Israel, and in the United States of America. 200 years ago, there was almost none in either of those countries. Whereas the centers of Jewish life, whether it's Eastern Europe or even Western Europe or North Africa or the Middle East, it's those Jewish communities 
have either disappeared completely, entirely, or have been, become so minimal that they are not the main central focus that they once were a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. So that's that's a big uh, that's a big story. There's these huge millions and millions of Jews population shifts. It also has to do with the Holocaust, obviously, which is another thing I'm going to get to. But um, but that those those what caused this immigration? How did they choose their destinations? How did they deal with the new countries and the challenges of a new country, new culture, a new a new place, a new? How do they deal with that in a religious sense, in a cultural sense, in a in a communal sense? How do they rebuild uh, communities in these new places, and how did that affect Jewish life? So the story of the of the Jewish people, in perhaps the biggest way of the last two centuries, is immigration, new destinations, new horizons, new countries. The third one um, that that is a related again again a lot of, like I said a lot of these are interrelated and, and and it's I guess like I said with the time periods it's also artificial that I made it distinct uh, the the six separate ones but it could be that you could you know put a couple of them under the same rubric as others but modernity modern times the modern era the challenges of modernity um, which is kind of related to emancipation. But way, way beyond citizenship or, or equal rights, there is the actual challenges of the modern era, what we would call the Enlightenment or the Haskalah, the different stages of the Jewish Haskalah, the Haskalah in Germany, and then how it shifted from Germany in the 1700s to Galicia in the early 1800s, and then from Galicia in the early 1800s to the Russian Empire in the mid-1800s, and what was the Haskalah and how did it develop? It's actually something that we need to devote more episodes to this topic. It has been unfairly neglected in Jewish history soundbites, and I hope to get to that as well. So, of course, if that's something that piques your interest, you can be in touch with me about sponsorship for that as well. There's also Reform Judaism, which develops in Germany in the early 1800s. And then there's the overall idea of integration into the surrounding society, of acculturation, of eventually what becomes secularization. The Jewish world, up until the year 1700, even mid-18th century perhaps, was overwhelmingly traditional Judaism, what we would call a Shomer Torah Umitzis. And uh, today the overwhelming majority is not that way. So how did that change? That's a product of the modern era from many different factors. You can't isolate one or the other. You can't say it was Haskalah, it was Reform, it was this, it was that. It was a combination of a multitude of factors. And eventually there's also assimilation. And assimilation becomes a product of the modern era, um, assimilating into culture, assimilating entirely uh, Jewish identity. There's a lot of influences from the outside of the Jewish world, and the Jewish history is never a vacuum. It always has to be understood in the context of what's going on in the general society. In the general world, there's changes in governmental policies. There's changes in countries, in wars, in in advances in science and technology, something that we tend to minimize. But changes in technology probably affected the Jewish, uh, um, in, the fa- in the context of challenges of modernity, affected the governmental policy and advances in technology. I, w- I would guess, again, we can explore this more in, in episodes on the topic, affected the Jewish people in in the modern era much more than internal Jewish forces such as Haskalah. Um, so that's important to 
get that whole story straight about what happened. How did how did the Jewish people face the challenges of modernity? What were those challenges? How did they and what happened? How did that how did that lead to to uh, different stages of integration or acculturation or even assimilation? That that is number three, and that of course leads directly into change number four, which is uh, perhaps. The most episodes are related to this topic, most episodes of Jewish History Soundbites, and that is the spiritual and religious renewal of the Jewish people in the modern era. Um, and that is through different personalities and different uh, movements. And the important point here is as follows. The general assumption is, is that traditional Judaism is just that. It's traditional. And therefore, if it's traditional, then it's not subject to change. And it's while everything and everyone else in society is busy changing, traditional society clings to its traditions of the past, and therefore it is not subject to the the out, external forces that uh, that uh, perpetrate the change in society, uh, perpetuate, uh, perpetrate. Yeah. So that belief lies at the very core of conservatism and conservative societies, such as religious societies, such as Jewish religious societies of the of the 17th and 18th centuries. The only problem with that assumption is that it's wrong. Uh, traditional Jewish life reacts to change and fortifies itself and renews itself based on its perceived needs in a changing world. And that is the correct way to view the many changes in traditional Jewish life in the modern era. Essentially, all of the movements of change and all of the personalities who are associated with those movements are modern movements. They're modern movements. And that's what's astounding, is that we have a conservative religious society, a traditional Jewish society, and it's a modern movement because they're reacting to a modern world. They're reacting, they're confronting challenges of modern society, and they create either reactionary movements or uh, spiritual renewal, revival, however you want to call it, that is a re- direct or even indirect uh, reaction to the world changing around them. And that is the Hasidic movement. That is um, the em- new, em- new emphasis on education, the yeshiva movement. That is neo-orthodoxy in Germany, of Fall Hirsch and others. That is orthodoxy in Hungary, associated with the Chassam Seifer. You know, I always say whenever I go to the Chassam Seifer in Bratislava, when 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 it's possible to travel, they bring groups there. So I mentioned the the most famous saying of the Chassam Seifer, what he used to uh, to the changing the the winds, the sweeping winds of change in his time. He would declare, "Chadash Asher Anything new is forbidden by the Torah. So now I, I asked the group. I said, "Who is this saying attributed to?" With that meaning, obviously, you know, in the Talmudic context, it has a different meaning, a halachic meaning. So they say, "What do you mean, the Chassam Seifer?" I said, "If the Chassam Seifer said it, that means the people before him did not say it. If people before him did not say it, so he said something new. But how could he say something new? Chadash Asr Menatayra, right? And now it's a rhetorical question. I don't mean it as a real question, but that is that's exactly the point. He's using the traditional." The orthodox response to a changing world, to a to a modern uh, world, and 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 the, the challenges that that uh, he's confronting. The same thing would go for the Musser movement, and uh, and all that 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 was trying to uh, promulgate a change within orthodox society. Other emphasis on education in the modern era: girls' education, which we devoted a whole series to, 
education in the Hasidic world, the Hasidic yeshiva world, which also is a whole story about how the Hasidic movement itself is looking for renewal in the beginning of the 20th century, and they turn to education, they turn to yeshivas. And in, and again in education, education is a major factor in religious response to modern challenges. Education in the new destinations of those immigrant communities that we mentioned in one of the earlier changes. How do they preserve uh, traditional Jewish life in their new destinations, in these new immigrant communities? Very often the focus is on education. And in places where the focus was on building communities or making sure they had good shechita and they neglected education, so very often traditional Jewish life did not fare well in the long term. And it was in places where there was an emphasis on adapting education, on adapting to government requirements and modernizing the education and reacting to the world around them and adapting certain things, even conceding certain things in the traditional Jewish world to education. The, the language of instruction can be adapted to a modern language. The Even the content, the scheduling, the curriculum, the structure, the the framework of the school, the, the everything, and and that's all ways and tools used in the in the in the in the spiritual and religious renewal uh, facing the modern times. The next change, this is already number five, is the is nationalism, and that appears on the Jewish scene, like I mentioned earlier, at the end of the nineteenth century. Nationalism, Jewish nationalism, is a Jewish nationalist identity which didn't really exist. I mean, nationalism itself is a product of the 19th century, so Jewish nationalism just followed in the wake of the European countries around them. Greece had gotten in their independence from the Ottoman Empire, and that that uh, was one of the first significant uh, nationalist uh, uh, entities that was successful in the 19th century, and it was followed by a surge of, of nationalism throughout sweeping Europe and later the world, so the Jewish people were no exception to that. So again, it has to be seen within the context of world society and world history of the 19th century, and that's how Jewish nationalism arrives on the scene. And that leads to modern political Zionism, that leads also to other movements of nationalism, or Jewish autonomy within their countries. In the Russian Empire and other places, there's this autonomous, Jewish autonomy, cultural autonomy, language, revival of, of Yiddish and Yiddish culture and literature, Socialism became a form of Jewish nationalism. There's Jewish socialism, there's the Bund movement and others, there's Jewish culture and Yiddishism, and then Hebrew, Hebrew, the, they revived the ancient language and modernized it and that became identified with the new nationalist trends. And then, of course, the nationalism succeeded in creating a sovereign state. They created the state of Israel. And then there's immigration to Israel, so it relates also to immigration. There's Jewish communities or individuals, and sometimes in mass movements, from the diaspora that move to this new Jewish sovereign state. So there's a sovereign state. Now, whether you like the state or not, and there's plenty of reasons not to like it, but it is a reality, and it's a new reality in Jewish history. And that is a fundamental change in Jewish history, the fact that there's a Jewish sovereign state in Israel, and it's a Huge. I mean, it's, it's 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 so new that we we haven't even begun to grasp how much it fundamentally changes Jewish history, and we're going to have to leave it for future historians. Well, lots of fun because they were going to probably end up redefining Jewish history as a result because this is a a complete uh, shift, uh, paradigm shift in in the story of the Jewish people. I'll give you a small example as 
demographics are changing in the Jewish world. And eventually there's going to be, pretty soon, I mean, uh, I, I assume my expertise is definitely not demographics, but I, I believe that I've seen numbers like that that predict that soon there's going to be a majority of the Jew, maybe there already is, who knows, uh, of the Jewish people in the sovereign state of the state of Israel, right? So, and that will be a reality, meaning whether you like it or not. So therefore, future historians will have to begin to view the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora, as something that either can shrink into something insignificant or to even come to an end. And that fundamentally changes our view of Jewish history because we would assume that the diaspora is something that is not something changeable unless there's a you know a supernatural event such as the arrival of Mashiach. But uh, the 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 I, which is of course something that we're still hoping for and uh, and praying for and we're, we want that supernatural event. But I'm talking about in the context of history about the physical presence of Jews in a diaspora and 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 the physical presence of Jews in a in a in a sovereign state. It changes that um, that uh, reality of Jewish history. And then of course the sixth and last change um, is the Holocaust. And it is not only the greatest tragedy of Jewish history, but also one of the biggest changes in Jewish history. It's something that's less focused on because we get lost within the tragedy itself. Um, the, a, the catastrophe itself is a story. But here the focus is on how it changed Jewish life, how it changed the Jewish people, how it changed Jewish history as a result, what, you know, what, type, of, what type of things happened in the Holocaust. And as a result of the Holocaust, the fact that Jewish life in Europe is completely wiped out, and and the Jewish communities outside of Europe, and then other survivors rebuild, and what was lost and what was destroyed in the Jewish religious life and Jewish culture, and and how all those changes have an impact and continue to influence Jewish history till today, and that is a tremendous part of the story. The, the impact of the Holocaust cannot be underestimated, and it also the Holocaust is such a total cutoff point for of European Jewish life of a thousand years in Europe that it forces us to review our whole view of the Jewish story in Europe. Now, because of that, just like a, a sudden and tragic ending, it, it makes us uh, take a step back and start rethinking, so what was really before that? Was it all leading to the Holocaust? Was the Holocaust come out of nowhere? And uh, so it causes us to both look at the before, it causes us to look at the during, what happened actually during the Holocaust itself, what was the story of the Holocaust, and then, of course, the impact that it has and continues to have on Jewish history in the ensuing decades. So I would say, and I'll take this going out on a limb here, that almost all of the episodes of Jewish History Soundbites fit one way or another under the rubric of, of all these above uh, topics, these changes. There are exceptions, I imagine, um, but most stories and sagas and episodes touch on more than one of the above changes, usually several at a time, like I said, um, and I'm sure there are exceptions that uh, that don't quite fit in um, or just fit in perfectly um, into one or the other. So that's, uh, again, uh, just sharing a few thoughts uh, at this very, very significant milestone together at uh, episode 250 about what Jewish History Soundbites is really all about and what uh, Jewish History Soundbites is going to continue to do to explore modern Jewish history and these changes that happened uh, in Jewish life and how that affects us as a people till this very day. So thank you again. This is Yehuda Geber with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at Yehuda at com for questions, comments, sources, sponsorships, 
lectures, tours, virtual tours. You can subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on Podbean or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites, and I hope you enjoyed.